we're in Acts, uh, we're in Acts chapter 12. If you want a Bible, you can raise your hand real high and we will put a Bible uh, in, your, in your hands. We've been kind of systematically working through the book of Acts and, and, and rediscovering the church, kind of looking at how does the Holy Spirit work in the church uh, and in the early church and what does that mean for us? And so we've been walking through really a dramatic shift in the people of God in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, a move towards brotherhood, a move towards unity, a move towards inclusive community where they're inviting everybody in and understanding that the gospel goes out to everybody and to the whole world. Um, And today we're in Acts chapter 12. And as I've been praying about today, um, I, I really get a sense that today the Lord wants us to have an encounter with him. Uh, And and I know that every time we come to church, we kind of want to have some sort of encounter with the Father, but I think there's sometimes a posture that we can take when we enter into the church where we're entering in to kind of consume what's given to us rather than encounter the living God. Does that make sense? Uh, There's a way that we can enter in which kind of says, well, I'm showing up, I'm, I'm punching my clock, I'm here on Sunday, I'm ready for some worship, I hope the songs are good, this guy's gonna stand up there and teach, I hope he doesn't go too long, uh, and I hope he tells some stories, and, and I hope it's kind of interesting, uh, and then at the end, we're gonna pray and take communion, and, and then we're gonna go watch the Falcons, um, which they're playing well now, right? They've done well the last few weeks, good, good job, Atlanta, right? Uh, and so, uh, so but, but I think there's another approach to how we enter into community and how we enter into the church, which kind of says we're gathering together, begging the Holy Spirit of God to show up in our lives because we want to encounter him. We want to hear from the living God. We want to interact with him. We come expectantly. We come hoping for something new and fresh and exciting to happen in our lives. We come expecting the Spirit of God to move and speak among us. We come expecting to to serve one another and bless one another and encourage one another while we're here. And we come really desiring and begging for the Holy Spirit to show up in our lives because we long to hear from him. Um, Cecile is, is kind of one of our kind of resident prophets. If you guys know Cecile, she's a prayer. She hears from the Lord. She knows the Lord. And, and a few months ago, she came up to me after a service, and she said, I, I, I need to tell you about this dream that I keep having. And, and, I, and I feel like this is something that we need to talk about or need to kind of bring into to what we're doing here. And she said, I keep having this dream of you preaching, and you're standing up in front of the church, like I am right now, uh, and you're preaching. And as you're preaching, every, random people keep standing up and walking up to the front. She's like, it's, it's really annoying because it's distracting me because I want to listen to you teach. And there's people that keep standing up and walking to the front. And what they do is they walk up to the front, they walk up on stage, and on stage are a bunch of bookshelves. And on the bookshelves are books. And so people come up to the front, kind of like they're at a library, and they look around and they grab a book and they go and sit down at their seat and they start reading your book and then they stop paying attention to what's going on, uh, which is kind of weird. And she said, I, I felt annoyed by it, right? I felt like, why is, why is everybody doing this? Like, why aren't you listening? Why are you just grabbing a book? Why are you just kind of doing your thing? Why aren't you paying attention? Why aren't we worshiping together? Why isn't anything happening? And then she said, and, and then there's this young man in the front who's, who's wearing a checkered shirt, who stands up. There's a lot of checkered shirts here, I noticed today. Uh, I don't know there's a lot of young men up front with checkered shirts. So there's a lot of a lot of middle-aged men with checkered shirts, guys. Uh, right? uh, there's a young man up front with a checkered shirt who stands up and begins to worship. And as he begins to worship, something begins to happen in the community, and people start looking up from their books, 
people start paying attention to what's going on, and all of a sudden, a flood starts coming from the back of the sanctuary. The Spirit of God just comes over. This was her dream, and she shared with me, and, and I've just been praying about that over the last few weeks, and, and, and I've been trying to discern, like, what does that mean? What's, what's going on? And I think it means this. I think for us, I think there's a way that we can show up on Sunday morning where we're just kind of trying to gather a little more information, right? We're trying to just learn a little more stuff about the Bible. We're trying to understand a little more. We're trying to get, like, our good word for the week. We got to get, like, something that we can put on Twitter or, or, or something that we can remember throughout the week or something that we can hang on to. And so we're so caught up in grabbing that information that we're missing the spirit of the living God that's working and moving among us and that there is an encounter available to us when we surrender and when we just say to the Lord, we want to experience you, we want to worship you, we want to know you, we want to have your presence fully alive in our hearts. So last week we talked about the beauty of the church is when the church becomes fully alive. And the truth is we're never going to become fully alive unless we encounter the living presence of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again in our life. And we long for that more than we long for just a sermon or just some information or just going through the motions or the liturgy of what we do week after week. It's when we want more of the living God in our life and his presence to dwell among us. And so this morning, I'd, I'd love to start the service by just asking for that. Is that all right if we do that? Like, could we just take like 30 seconds and just quiet our hearts? Because I really believe this. I might be crazy, but I believe that the living God is present and is always present and at work. And I believe that today he has a word for every single person in this room. I believe that he wants to encounter you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to love you. He wants to shower you with his affection. And he wants to meet us in this space. And the issue is never that God is not present, right? The issue is that we're not aware of his presence. And so this morning, could we start by just saying, Lord, we, we want to hear from you. We want an encounter with you today. And so could we just silently, just 30 seconds, I promise it won't be long, just bow your head and just say, Spirit of the living God, would, would you meet me here? We want you. We want your presence. We want to hear from you. We want to see you. We want to know you more deeply. Thank you. Right. Amen. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 6. And, and, and uh, pressure is, so what we've read the last few weeks is the, the, the gospel is moving outside of Jerusalem. But remember why it's moving outside of Jerusalem. It's moving outside of Jerusalem because there's great persecution happening to the church in Jerusalem. And so we've seen the gospel going to Samaria, to Judea, to the ends of the earth, which is what Jesus said it would do. Um, but we're going back to Jerusalem now, right? So imagine like a movie that's going from place to place. This is back in Jerusalem. And back in Jerusalem, Herod has just killed James. Uh, and as he's killed James, he's arrested Peter. And as he's doing this, the Jews are loving what's happening. They're cheering him on and they're excited for what's happening. And so Peter is in prison in Acts chapter 12. The pressure is mounting on the church in Jerusalem. And it says this, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, if I were in prison, I don't know that that's a great place to take a nap. I don't know that that's, the Bible's full of these moments where people are sleeping and they shouldn't be sleeping, right? Remember Jesus in the boat, right? And you're like, wake up, why are you, there's a, there's a storm, why are you sleeping? 
Peter's asleep here. He's surrounded. It says there's two full units guarding him. And so the Romans are like, Peter is the guy. They know now that Peter is the leader of this movement. He's the leader of the church. They're gathered around him. They finally caught him. They've got him here. They've got him in prison. And Peter is asleep. He's bound with chains. And it says, centuries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and he woke him up. I, I, I don't know what, what this... I find this a little funny, right? So there's all these guards all around him. They're they're securing the gates, securing the doors. They've got this guy chained, right? All this guy is a preacher. He's not a warrior, right? Peter's not, it's not like Peter's gonna beat somebody up. Like when when he chose to fight, remember he chopped off the ear of the kid? He didn't fight somebody that had a sword. He fought the little kid that didn't have anything, right? Peter's a wimp, right? And so Peter's here, he's locked up, he's chained up. He's a preacher like me. There's no fight in him. Right? And, and he's asleep. And then the angel comes in and the angel like nudges him. Says he struck Peter on the side. I, I, like my boys love to do this when they're asleep in the car. They'll just like bang each other. Right? They love to like wake each other up. And sometimes I wonder if the greatest challenge for us is that we've learned to sleep in our prisons. So uh, what I want to do today is I want to kind of give us four points. And under each four points, I want to give us just some questions to reflect about. And, and here's, the, here's the first point. We need an awakening before we can receive, receive a rescue. We need an awakening before we can receive a rescue. Because the challenge for us is oftentimes we are actually asleep in the things that are, that are causing us to be imprisoned. Right? We're not even aware that we're enslaved. We're not even aware that life isn't as it should be, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Uh, I've, I've, I used to preach all the time at, at youth events. And so I would go to these high school camps and teach at them. And, and there was one camp in um, northern Indiana that we loved to go to because they put us up on this lake and there were jet skis that they would let us have. And we had this great spot. Um, and, and, and I would preach there for like three or four weeks over the summer. And there'd just be all these kids that come in and out. And, 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 and one day I was on the beach and hanging out, kind of walking around, just kind of saying hi to kids. And this, this girl, she was a high school kid. She came up to me and and, and, and sometimes what happens is I, I'll, I'll like give a word to somebody and then everybody thinks I'm a prophet or something and they all start asking for words for me and I don't have them for all of them and I feel guilty and try and ask the Lord for more. Um, but, but I had given a word to one of the girls and so this girl says, do you have a word for me? Can you, could you pray for me? And I put my hand on her shoulder and I started to pray for her and as I prayed for her, I had this really clear vision of this little girl wrapped up in chains like all around her, wrapped up in chains, like like thick chains, like the big giant ones you see in like uh, old uh, like Scooby-Doo movies or something, right? Or like wrapped up all around her. But, but here's the thing. I looked at the bottom of it, and, and there was a lock that was completely open. And so I started to pray with her, and I told her about this image, and I said, I wonder if you've been enslaved, and you think that you're enslaved to something, but you're really free. I wonder if there's something that's got you locked up, but there's no key to hold you. Like you can break those chains at any point. I wonder if you're in prison, but you're just asleep. And she started telling me about her life. She started telling me about some things that were going on and she had this dramatic encounter with the spirit. But sometimes what happens is we're just asleep, right? We we lower our expectations and we kind of just say, well, this is just how life is gonna be. 
This is the way life is gonna be for me. It's gonna be sad. It's gonna be discouraging. It's gonna be frustrating. I'm not gonna experience breakthrough. I'm gonna live in this place forever. And so we allow ourselves to be enslaved when actually freedom is available to us. We allow ourselves to be chained up. We allow ourselves to be imprisoned. Ephesians 5 verse 14 says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the love of Christ will shine upon you. I think it's interesting that the chronological nature of this, it's wake up first, wake up, right? We live in a culture that one of the greatest challenges is not that we're, um, it's not that we're dead, it's just that we're asleep, right? We've got a generation of young people. I think revival is gonna come in our nation through our young people. Every revival that's ever come in America has, come, has two things in common, young people and prayer. And so I believe the next awakening is gonna happen through our young people. It's gonna happen through our teenagers, through our college students. And I don't know when it's gonna happen, but when it happens, it's gonna happen because they wake up. Because they start to realize that there is a better life available. They start to realize that God's spirit is moving and active and he's present and he's working and they can join him in something. And as they wake up, something rises within him. And so as they wake up, they rise up to become the people that God has called them to be. And when that happens, Christ shines on us. But oftentimes what happens is we're so asleep that we don't ever see where God is working. This is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy, right? The scripture says there is an enemy who comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is just to allow us to be asleep, to not even recognize what's enslaved us, to not even recognize that the life that we're living is not the life that we're called to. Jesus said that there is a full and abundant life available to us, but oftentimes the life we live and the full and abundant life that's promised to us feels like there's this huge gap in between them. And I would suggest that's because we're asleep. It's because we've fallen asleep. It's because we're doing the American dream thing. We're chasing our job. We're chasing the hierarchy. We're trying to get another promotion. It's because we're caught up in just taking care of our kids. We're caught up in just doing life. And so we wake up one day, and then we wake up the next day, and then we wake up the next day, and suddenly we're three years older and a little chubbier, right? We just go through the motions and go through the motions and go through the motions, and God's saying there's something better that's available to you. What I, what I see often is that we become the things that we imagine. Uh, I've, I've got a young man uh, in my life right now, and his greatest goal in his life is not to be his father. It's all he wants. His dad's in prison. His dad left him when he was 10 years old. His dad was terrible to him. His dad abandoned his family. And so the only vision he has for his life is, I don't want this. You know what's happening? He's becoming that. He's becoming just like his father. He's got a baby now. He's not married. He just got arrested for the third time. And and, and here's the thing. Oftentimes what happens is we have an imagination for what we don't want, but we don't have an imagination for what we do want. We need to wake up and experience the living God who calls the dreams and visions out of us into what we could be because if not, we just become what we, what we imagine. We reproduce what we imagine. And so we're locked up in prisons of fear. We're locked up in prisons of unforgiveness. We're locked up in prisons of, of comparison. We're locked up in prisons of, of worry and anxiety. We're locked up in all of these prisons in our life and we're enslaved to a sin where we can't get breakthrough. John chapter eight says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word truth means reality. 
right? That you will wake up to the reality of God working and being present in your life. And as you wake up to that truth, then the truth, that reality will actually set you free, right? So scripture's always talking about how we kind of have veiled faces, how we cannot see the things of God. So we see the things of the world, but we cannot see the things of the kingdom. And when we cannot see the things of the kingdom, we're asleep. We're missing what's really happening. We're seeing what's going on right in front of us, but we're not seeing how God is present and at work. We're not seeing how he's working and moving. We're not seeing the breakthrough that he wants to bring. We're not seeing the people that he's called us to be. We miss everything. So Tyler and I were in Mexico this week. And can I just be honest with you? As a pastor, there are times when you just want to not lead. Is it okay for me to say that? Okay, two of you said yes. I, I hope it... I hope it's okay occasionally for me to feel that way. And, and I was tired and I was coming off, I've been traveling a bunch and I was coming off this long week and I was like, okay, I'm going to Mexico. Like, I honestly prayed this. I was like, Lord, could I just chill for the week? Like, could I just eat tacos and hang out on the beach? Right, that would not be a bad thing. And I got there and, and uh, I don't know, I, was, I think it was the first, it was, yeah, it was the first night. We landed there, we get out, and we have dinner with this guy, and he just starts sharing of all the ways he's discouraged, and all the ways he's tired, and all the ways he's worn out. And everything in me wants to be like, yeah, me too. Let's eat these tacos, and let's go hang out on the beach. And the Lord was like, no, I'm, I've given you eyes to see something that you need to address. So we started talking and sharing. And, and, and I went home that night, and I repented, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I, I'm, I'm so caught up in my own stuff that I oftentimes don't see what's going on in my life, that I can be asleep to the needs of others, that I can be asleep to what's actually happening in the world when you've called me to actually be a light, when you've called me to actually be here, that you've sent me here not so I can eat tacos and hang out on the beach. You've sent me here to be a leader. You've sent me here to bring your love and your grace and your peace and your encouragement. And so I just started praying, Lord, would you give me words for people? Would you give me encouragement for people? Would you awaken some stuff in me so that I've got something to give? Would you give me some energy? And I woke up that next morning ready to go. I'm not kidding. And the Lord started giving me words for people and, and things started happening. All of a sudden, this whole team is like, will you give me a word? Will you give me a word? Will you give me a word? I was like, no, I don't have enough. Um, but there's this, it was this amazing experience where I just said, Lord, I just want to be present. And I think there's a way that we can live where we're just not present to the truth of reality. And we find it in God. My friend Dave Ferguson says, there's five things that we awaken to in our lives. The first is we awaken to our longing, right? So we awaken to our wants and our desires. Uh, and, and the common experience is that we don't experience that God actually gives us our desires, and so we pursue them somewhere outside of him. Right? That's the definition of sin. It's that we pursue what God can give us through another way. Right? Scripture says we've, we've, we've built broken cisterns to ourselves, cisterns that cannot hold water. We've chased, we tried to take the things that fill us up that God gives us, and we've tried to pursue them in other ways. And, and, and so we don't even know what we want. We're not in touch with our longings. We're not in touch with our desires, and, and we're not in touch with what's happening. And so one of the first things that begins to happen is we become in touch with our longings and our desires. We become in touch with what God has made us for and who he's created us to be. The second thing is that we awaken to our regret. Um, and what happens is oftentimes we get stuck in the first two awakenings, so we only awaken to our longings and our desires, and then all we do is, is, is we just manage our sin. 
right? So we feel guilty about something and then we pray for forgiveness and we just keep cycling back through this guilt and shame forgiveness cycle and we don't live into the freedom that we've been called to and so we live in this sorry cycle for years. So the next is that we awaken to help. And this often comes when we reach the end of ourselves, when we realize I cannot do it on my own, when we realize that God has invited us into something better, and we say, I can't do this on my own, and we realize that we want an encounter with God. We want God to move and work in our place. And so we ask for forgiveness. We tell him we've fallen short. We tell him we failed, but we also say, I need your presence. I need your help. Next is that we awaken to love. And I believe that love always brings transformation. And in this love, we find that God loves me deeply all along, that God was present and at work all along, and we begin to believe that we're loved and accepted. We begin to embrace our real identity. One of the challenges at the orphanage that we were working at this week was that there's a bunch of kids who don't know who they are. They don't know what their identity is. And so they've been told since they're children who they are. They've been told what they're supposed to do. They've been told how they're supposed to live and they don't know their God-given identity and they haven't embraced that. And so one of the number one things that this orphanage and these, these folks are doing in Mexico, which is a beautiful thing, is just telling these kids who they are in Christ. No, you're, you're, you're not an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not forgotten, you're loved and cared for. You're not neglected, you're embraced. You're not alone, you're in a family. And they said, as these kids begin to realize their identity in Christ, something comes to life in them, something begins to change. Whenever we have an encounter with love, our, tra- our, our identity is transformed. We awaken to the love of Christ. And then last is that we awaken to life. The New Testament has two words for life. The first is, is baos. Uh, and, and Baos is like chronological life. It's like the, what you do kind of in order of your life, right? And so it kind of names off like the stages of your life, the seasons of your life, all of those, those things. And the last one is Zoe. Uh, and Zoe carries a deeper meaning. It's actually the same meaning as the word key. And what it means is life as it's supposed to be lived. Zoe is the shalom life right? Life where the peace of God is at work. So when, when Jesus says full and abundant life is available to us, he uses the word zoe. It refers to a life that is supposed to be lived, the life that's available to us, the life that is full. And the final awakening is when we wake up and say, I think I'm really alive. I think I'm really alive. I feel like I'm operating in the gifts that the Father's given me. I feel like I'm walking into the spaces the Father's invited me into. I feel like uh, the, the things that once held me captive are breaking away, and I'm beginning to get breakthrough, and I'm beginning to get victory, and victory is available to us, and so we awaken to life. So here's the first question I want us to reflect on today. Where in your life are you asleep in your prison? Where in your life are you chained up and locked up and you're not even aware that you're chained up and locked up? Where in your life are you not getting the breakthrough that the Father's called you to? Are you not experiencing the full and abundant and good life that he's invited you into? Where has sin gotten a hold of you and not allowed you to be rescued from it and you just can't seem to get victory and you keep trying harder and trying harder and trying harder and it's not coming? Where, in, where are you asleep to that? And where do you just need to wake up and say, all right, Lord, what do you have for me? Will you nudge me? Will you shake me? Will you wake me up? And will you awaken me 
to what you have for me. The second thing is that most prisons are prisons of the mind. Most of our prisons are prisons of the mind. And what they are is they're prisons that allow us to be so caught up in our own mind. So scripture talks almost more about the mind than anything else. The battle for our hearts, the battle for our sin is often fought in two places, our hearts and our mind, right? And so over and over again, scripture talks about these battles for for this. And it's, it's the lies that we create in our head. It's the bad news that we believe about ourselves. And so we believe bad news about ourselves. We believe lies about ourselves. We believe in a false identity of who we are. And then we, we, we get stuck in this prison of who we are. And so what we need to learn to do is to pay attention to our life. To learn to pay attention between the gaps in our lives, between what we've been promised and how we live. And so we, we learn to discern and detect the bad news that's going on in my life. Um, you know what sometimes is the worst drive of the week for me? honestly, is my drive home from church on a Sunday morning. It's when I, so I, we live about 25 minutes away and I'll get in the car as we're done here and I'll take a deep breath and I'll gather all my stuff and I'll start driving home. And you know what happens every single time I drive home? The enemy starts to steal, kill and destroy everything that happened that morning. And the enemy gets in there and my, my thoughts start going to like, boy, it looks like people are kind of bored for a while. That first point, that went a little long and you didn't tell enough stories. I actually just did, right? Uh, uh, um, man, you should have talked to so-and-so because they had this need and you should have prayed with them today and, and you didn't get to them. And, and I start condemning myself as I drive home. You ever catch yourself doing this? And I just start beating myself up. Uh, about a year ago, I was driving home and I was doing this. I was just beating myself up on all the things I didn't say, the ways I could have said it better, the ways I should have prepared a little more, the person I should have prayed with, the person I should have had a conversation with, all of these different things, and I'm beating myself up and I'm condemning myself, and all of a sudden, I just felt the spirit of the living God say, why are you condemning yourself? I'm not condemning you. I've not picked up any stones against you. Stop. The battle is often fought in our minds, and we create these own prisons in our head that keeps us from experiencing the good news that the Father's give, invited us into. First um, Corinthians 4.4 4 says, the God of the age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ in the image of God. The God of the age, we've been blinded so that we cannot see the things of God. We've been enslaved, we've been caught up in these things. Philippians 2.5 says, we wanna have the same mindset is Christ Jesus, that the mind of Christ is actually available to us. I love 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. It says, for who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are, dis- because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, listen to this. We have what? Not there. We have the mind of Christ. That's what we have. We have the mind of Christ. So the way that I explain this to my kids is, this, is, is it's like the spirit of God 
downloads the heart of God, the mind of God into our lives. Does that make sense? And so if I'm left to my own thoughts, if I'm left to my own devices, if I'm left to my own mind, then my mind is going to be stolen, it's gonna be killed, it's gonna be destroyed. But if I surrender my heart, if I surrender my thoughts, if I surrender what's going on in my heart, then the spirit begins to download the things of God into me and we have these encounters with the living God that changes the way that we operate and we awaken to something fresh and we awaken to something new. Are you with me? We awaken to it, but, but the battles are always fought in our mind. So uh, I, I've shared a few times that our family has come out of, over the past five years, a really difficult season, like a really, really challenging season. And, and as we came out of that season, one of the things I've begun to realize over the past couple of years is how much negativity ruins my life. Uh, I, I've begun to realize that there's like a pattern in my family where when something bad happens in our lives, we're like, oh yeah, of course that's gonna happen, right? Because we're Hardmans and, and we're cursed or something. You ever do this, right? You get the flat tire and you're like, oh yeah, of course it's happening because bad things just happened to me. And I noticed, I started taking captive my thoughts. That's what scripture says. I started taking captive my thoughts of every time I started to name that there was something that was broken or something that was wrong or something that was cursed, I started to replace that with the truth of the gospel, which is, no, 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 that's not how things are. I am, I am more than a conqueror. I am free. I've received the victory. I, uh, Jesus has given me, when, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see me condemned. He doesn't see me as broken. He doesn't see my sin. He sees the risen Savior. And so I am free from all of those things. And every time those negative thoughts pop up in my mind, every time we get a flat tire, every time something falls apart, every time something starts to break down, I no longer tell myself the story of, oh, this is just happening because we're cursed. Because what happens is when we start naming that curse, we're actually giving it power. We actually give the lies of the enemy power when we pay attention to them and when we name them ourselves. And so what we do is we declare freedom over that. And so I got a flat tire. You know why I got a flat tire? Because flat tires happen. And you know what's happening as I get a flat tire? I'm gonna take my car somewhere and I'm gonna interact with somebody and maybe the spirit of the living God wants me to have an encounter with the person who's fixing my car. Maybe God's up to something where I'm gonna meet somebody who's gonna start coming to the church, where I'm gonna hang out with somebody and give them an encouraging word, where God is leading me. It's just a matter of God is moving me in a different direction. He's taking me to a different place, but I trust him. I trust that he's working. And so these battles are fought in our mind over and over and over again. And what God is doing is he's giving us eyes to see and ears to hear where he is working. And so the second question I wanna ask is where are you believing a lie about God or yourself? Where in your life do your thoughts betray you? Do you say that I trust the father in this, but in your thoughts, you're caught up in a lie or you're caught up in bad news? And what does it look like for you to say, God, would you meet me in that space? Right? Would you meet me? The truth will what? Set you free. Will you meet me in that space with your reality? Will the reality of who you are meet the reality of where I am? And will something miraculous happen in this space? Number three, rescue comes not only through divine intervention, but through divine instructions obeyed. Uh, in, the, in the next few verses, there's four commands for Peter. The angel tells Peter to do four things, and Peter does all of them immediately. And what's funny about the four things is they're exactly the same four things that my mother used to tell me when I woke up in the morning. 
right? So here's the four things. Get up, put your clothes on, put on your coat, and follow me. Those are the four things. Let's read it. Uh, Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And here's what we begin to see. As Peter obeys, breakthrough begins to happen. The gates of the prison swing wide open, but they don't swing wide open until Peter obeys. And oftentimes what we want is we want an encounter with the living God where he does all the work and we don't have to do anything. And I found that that's rarely how God works. What God is often doing is he's giving me the next step. I wish he'd give me the five-year plan, right? I wish he'd tell me the whole story. I would wish he'd tell me how everything's gonna work out. But what he often does is say, I want you to take one step here. I want you to take one step here. I want you to take one step here. And as I begin to take the steps of obedience, the gates that I've been fighting swing open. The chains are broken and freedom begins to come. Freedom is found in obedience. Over and over and over again. Verse nine, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and that this was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. So they passed through the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter's standing there in the middle of the street saying, oh, wait a minute, this wasn't just a dream. Wait a minute. God just rescued me. God just delivered me. He says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and he's rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Sometimes rescue doesn't feel dramatic. Sometimes it's a subtle shift in our perspective. Sometimes it's a subtle shift in our mindset. Sometimes it's a little bit of a move in a different direction. When we talk about repentance, we say repentance is agreeing with God about reality and turning to God's reality. And so sometimes what's happening is there's a shift in my mindset. There's a shift in my thinking, and that shift in my thinking leads me to obedience. And so we put one step after another, and we follow God. We just walk into the places where he leads us to. And obedience is so powerful because it proves who we trust. Obedience is where we prove who we really trust. Do I trust in myself? Do I trust in the thoughts in my own head? Do I trust in this world? Do I trust in the things that I can see? Or do I actually trust the living God is moving and working? And when I do, I put one foot after the other. And so oftentimes people say, well, what do I do when God's silent? What if, God, what if I don't sense God speaking? What if I'm trying to take captive my thoughts? What if I'm trying to have an encounter with the Father and I'm not hearing anything and I, all my, my advice is always go back to the last word the Father gave you. Go back to the last thing he invited you into because he still may be waiting for you to take a step here and you're trying to take a step here. And so we go back to where has God spoken in the past? What has he said? Is there something that the Father's invited me into that I haven't stepped into fully? Is there something that the Lord is inviting me to be obedient to that I've been refusing to be obedient to and I'm waiting for him to tell me something else and he's telling me this? My kids do this all the time, right? Because kids are annoying, right? I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll be like, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go do this. And then they'll come to me and be like, well, what do I do after I do that? I don't know, I just want you to do the dishes, right? I'll come up with what's happening after the dishes, after the dishes, just do the dishes, right? We need to get the dishes done. Then you might cut the grass, then you might be able to play video games, right? Uh, My kids always wanna know where the next meal is. 
Are you with me? Like they're terrified that the next meal is not coming. What are we having for dinner? What's, what is it? Is it something I like? Can we go out? Can we not get tacos, right? So they're naming all of these different things. They're, they're always aware of what's next. And I'm constantly saying, you can trust us that you're going to get a meal, right? You're 16 years old and every meal of your entire life has been on a table. You've not created it. You've not done anything for it. You've not worked for it. You don't even know how to make anything, but we bring it to you and we set it in front of you. And I wonder if the spirit of the living God is saying the same thing to us. Right? You're trying to chase all these things in the future. You're worried about what's going to happen 10 years from now. You're worried about what's going to happen five years from now. And I want to give you your daily bread today. Will you trust me? And will you obey me today? Because our obedience today prepares us for obedience in the future. I'm telling you, if you want to have a vision from God, if you want to have an awakening in your life, if you want to realize where God has called you or who he's called you to or who he's invited you to marry or what the next 10 years hold or what the next five years hold or what job you're supposed to take or what college you're supposed to go to or any of those things, the greatest way to figure that out is to obey today. Because we learn to walk by the Spirit. And as we learn to walk by the Spirit, Scripture says he actually lights our path. He actually lights up the road in front of us and says, there it is. But it's lived out in our obedience. And so sometimes what we want is we want to encounter without obedience. And that's not how rescue happens. It's not how it happened for Peter here. And it's not how it happens for all of us. So the question is, where is God calling you to obedience and you're resisting? Is there an area of your life where you know that God's inviting you into something where he's calling you to be obedient and you're resisting what he's inviting you into. You're resisting what he's calling you into. And if we want to rescue, if we want an encounter, then we lean in to those things. Last thing, I promise, is number four. We are rescued from something because we're rescued to something else. The reason that we are rescued out of something is because the Father is inviting us into something new. The phrase that we use around here is what God does in you, he first does through you. So sometimes what we want to do is we want to get to what God's going to do in me, but we haven't experienced what he wants to do through me. And here's the thing. We, we, you can't take people to places that you've never been yourself. And so if you want to be able to take people to a deeper place with the Father, you've got to experience that place yourself. If you want to lead people in worship, if you want to lead people in, 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 in a Bible study, if you want to lead people in how to pray, if you want to lead people in anything, it starts by experiencing it yourself. What we experience ourselves, we reproduce in others. The culture that is within us is always the culture that's created around us. Does that make sense? The culture that's in my heart and in my mind is always the culture that I'll create as a leader. Because what happens is what's inside of me leaks out whether I want it to or not. And so if I'm caught in a, in, in a prison of fear or a prison of anxiety or a prison of unforgiveness or I'm caught in all of these prisons, then what happens is the, with the, my kids and my wife and the people I'm around, they all it just leaks out of me even when I don't want it to. It's just coming out all the time because we're creating our culture by what's around us. And so what's inside of us, we actually create around us. That's why it's so important for us to be attentive to our own spiritual formation, our own spiritual journey. That's why it's so important that we find space and time in our day to stop and get alone with God and get quiet and actually just say, Lord, do you have something? 
I would suggest that many of us, the reason that we're asleep is because we don't have time or space to give God any area of our life. So what would change if you just woke up and said, all right, Lord, I'm giving you a half hour. Let's go. If you just slowed down throughout the day, I've got friends that will set alarms on their phone over and over again throughout the day, just like every four hours and every time the, the, the phone beeps, they, they, they don't make a big deal out of it. They just quietly say, all right, Lord, I recognize you're present and at work right now. Is there anything that you Is there anything that happened in the last four hours where I missed your presence? Is there anything going on that I don't have eyes to see? Is there anything that you're rescuing me to? Verse 17, it says, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He, here's what Peter did. He, he, went to, he went back to the disciples, and as he went back to the disciples, they all thought it was a dream. They wouldn't even answer the door because they thought it was Peter's ghost, right? There's all kinds of weird things going on in Acts. Right? And Peter's like, no, guys, it's really me. It's really me. And so he motions with his hand for them to be quiet, and he describes how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he says this, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. He said, and then he left for another place. Like, I know that's a really simple passage, but here's the truth. When we are rescued, we're called to another place. When we are rescued, we're rescued because God's inviting us into something new, because he's inviting us into something, something, something fresh. And what happens is our prisons actually are determined by our lies. When we awaken to these things, something new begins to happen. And he... Here's the truth, and I, I know this is true in this room. There are people in this room who have been saved but never rescued. Can you hear me? There are people in this room who you have been saved by the spirit of the living God, right? Jesus has worked in your life, and you have been saved, but there is all kinds of things that are still enslaving you. And I want to say to you, every single person in this room, and I know I've gone long, but look at me, rescue is available. And it's available right now. It's available today. And whatever you've been enslaved to, whatever you've been held captive by, whatever's happened in your life, something new is available to you. And so I spent all week this week with all of these kids who have been saved but are still in need of rescue. They've been pulled out of the sex industry. They've been pulled out of dysfunctional homes. They've been pulled out of places where they've been beaten. But all of a sudden, what begins to happen is these behaviors and these patterns and these mindsets flow out of them, which causes them to respond to the people they love them by hitting them and yelling at them and shouting about them. They said one of the greatest things they do when they bring teams in is they teach teams how to deal with trauma in kids. Because teams from the States show up and they try and hug a kid and they don't understand why the kid doesn't want to be hugged. And so they've been, they've been saved, but they're still in need of rescue. And it happens to us over and over again. We've been saved. Our position with the Father is secure, but there's still areas of our life that need to be surrendered. And so every day, week after week, we, we surrender more, we obey more, we walk in the Spirit more, and we learn how to be rescued. And so I believe today that God wants to move. I believe that God wants to do something to, to, in us today. And so the last question is, where is God inviting you to join him in another place? Where is God saying, I'm inviting you into something new? I'm calling you to something fresh. I'm inviting you into something different. And what does it look like to obey? So a couple things here. As we were praying this morning, um, every time before the services, the band gets together and, and we pray. And, and, and there were two words that, that came up in our prayer time. The first was victory, and the second was vulnerability. 
And I thought those were two interesting words, right? Everybody kind of knew we were talking about prisons and talking about these kinds of things. So victory makes sense. Vulnerability was the one that was like, wait a minute. I think in order for us to actually experience an encounter with God, there has to be enough vulnerability in this room for one of us to not be grabbing the books at the front and saying, I just want some more information. But to say more than grabbing some information, more than experiencing a church service, more than having a couple things to take home and tell people about, I want to actually experience and encounter the living God and I want to be set free. I want something new to happen. I want a fresh wind. I want a fresh fire. I want a fresh word from the Lord. Or, or, or there's a recognition of there's an area of my life where I've been locked up and chained up and I want what Isaiah 61 says is available to me. I want freedom to the captives. And so we're going to move into a time of communion and we're going to have an extended worship time here on the back end. And we're going to have a prayer team come to the front and we're going to have a prayer team in the back. Douglas and Anna will be in the back. There'll be some folks from the prayer team up front. And, and we've done this a few times, but I want to do this again today. I want to just make this kind of our altar today. And if you need to come to the Father and just say, Lord, I know that I've been locked up and I want freedom. If you want to come to the Father and say, I know there's areas in my mind, of my heart, of my life that still need to be surrendered, and I want to give them over to you, I, I, I would just suggest today that victory is not going to come without vulnerability. That victory comes when we trust the Father, when we obey, when we put one foot after another, and we keep walking in the spaces that he's called us to. And so I want to just open up a time of ministry, and I want to open up a time for us to encounter God. Last week when we took communion, we just we, we did something new where we just said, let's pray with one another. Let's not make communion an individual event anymore, but let's gather around other families. Let's look around the room and say, who do I need to pray for today? Who do I need to encourage today? Let's become fully alive in who Christ has made us to be, and let's not depend on just the people up on stage and up front to be the actors when we gather together, but let's bring something to our worship and let's bless one another and serve one another. And so maybe as you're gathering and as you're praying, God just lays on somebody on your heart and you just need to go pray with them. Maybe you need to encourage them. Maybe you need a word of encouragement today and you just need to go to a friend and say, will you just pray for me? Will you just lift me up? Maybe you just need a quiet space up front where you just need to be quiet and silent. If you come up and pray at these altars, nobody's gonna bother you. Nobody's gonna do anything weird. Nobody's gonna do anything. You can just come and have space to pray. And then I believe this without a shadow of a doubt, guys. There's somebody in here who has never been saved or rescued. You've never experienced the salvation of the Lord. You've never experienced forgiveness of your sin. You've never experienced the abundant life that God has called you to. And I want you to know that that's available to you today too. And if you want that, come to meet one of our prayer folks and we would love to pray with you and we'd love for you to receive that. So can we stand together? And I wanna end the sermon the same way that we started it. Can we just pray and say, living God, we wanna encounter you. So Holy Spirit of God, we want you. We wanna experience your love and your grace. We come to you knowing that we are broken and burdened, that sin still has a hold in our lives in certain ways, and we want breakthrough. We want, um, we want freedom from the places that we've been enslaved. We wanna obey. We wanna walk in step with you. We wanna see the world the way that you see it. And so Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would have your way with us now. I pray that you would move and work and speak in this place. And I pray that today we would walk away not saying we had a church service, but saying we had an encounter with the living God.
And so we surrender ourselves to you. We ask you to meet us in this place. We ask you to speak. We ask you to encourage. We ask you to love. We ask you to call us to obedience. We ask you to invite us into something better. I pray that you give us dreams and that you give us visions. I pray that you give us hope. I pray that you break down walls. And I pray that today there are stories of miracles that happen because the Holy Spirit of God sets us free in this place. So Father, work now. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.